everyone, this is Sarah Mason from the HMC Network, and this is the Conversations Podcast, Age of Distraction, Part 2, Almost Invisible. And I'm sitting here with the wonderful Warren Lewis. Hello. And the fabulous Stephen Godshow, screenwriter. Did I, do I always say it wrong? Everyone does, but as long as we're on air. Godshow. The trick is show on the road. Yeah, I don't know. I apologize. Sorry for doing that. It's a faux pas. It is a (laughs) faux (laughs) pas. It's (laughs) A-U-X. Hi. Hi. Hello, you guys. It's always fun to have you here. Because you have many insights that are quite fascinating. Mm -hmm. Put the pressure on. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I'm not going to get to the almost invisible thing till towards the end of this episode. I'd like to start off talking about the other end of the spectrum, and that is millennials and the younger generations and your thoughts on how they're shaping storytelling today. And by that, I mean not just uh, they're them as storytellers, you know, YouTubers and all that, par- that partially that. But also their politics, their reactions, their uh, their culture is that. Sh- how is that shaping things? Me, uh, you can start. I think you should start. Okay. Well, this is sort of the obvious: is you um, not to be. And we'll get to this old and disapproving. (laughs) Uh, But you begin to wonder about uh, their attention span. Mm. Exactly. And um, in the age of Instagram, Mm -hmm. um, where um, they only seem to be compelled for a few seconds, um, you wonder about their ability to invest in sort of long arc storylines. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and storylines that are more complicated uh, than others. Uh, having said that, we have seen them um, commit to those shows. The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and uh, our fave Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, there is a sort of luridness, it seems to me, to their taste, mm-hmm. and so. Mm-hmm. Um, a show like um, Jersey Shore, mm. um, that kind of show, you wonder if it still appeals to them. The sort of really silly, debauched, kind of vaguely, you know, sexual on the surface. There's this idiotic show on MTV now that's doing uh, pretty good numbers, Florabama Shore. Oh, I have seen the trailers for that. And uh, it's pure idiocy Mm. and and that's who's watching it the younger uh when when you say younger too like how is it so is it 18 19 20 or is it 12 13 14 15 um i think it's a little younger okay and and certainly older teens are watching it so it's youtubers it's people who get a lot of their content from youtube it is and it's 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 purely it's there's no there there mm. so it's it's kind of frightening what happened to mtv 
because I mean, when I was growing up and in high school, and MTV was starting, and they said that they were they'd ruined the music industry. Mm. It was it was all music videos and really cool music videos, and I don't even know what they're about anymore except this kind of thing. We're, we're too fragmented as a culture to put on a broad spectrum of music videos for people. Uh. You know, because if you look at the actual recording industry numbers, the, this has always shocked to people. The most selling genre, pardon the expression, in our country is country music. Still. And country music has gone hip-hop. And mm-hmm. hip-hop is big. And, you know, I, I teach out in Orange County. And you can imagine, I got all these kids who are Asian or white or just walking around doing hip-hop. That's pretty lurid, too. But it would be very difficult, I think, to program something for everyone. It's, it would be like trying to put on a variety show now, which is a complete antique form. Uh, you just you can't get the family around the TV set. You can't get my students who are in their early 20s, I guess, and their younger brothers and, brothers and sisters in the same room. It's not going to happen. Mm. So you're saying that applies to, like, we could never have MTV again today, in other words, because... I think the numbers, well, the numbers or the, what your cable channel speaks for itself. I mean, not even BET is serving as... It's uh, it's demographic, right? You know, so that's what you'd have to do is highly, highly specialize, mm-hmm. and that alienates a lot of the audience who are living in their own cultural bubble, and this gets to be a problem for you know image makers like us. Is is the cultural bubble? Stephen mentioned one of the few shows that jumps generations, and you and I are fans of the other one, which is Game of Thrones. Totally jumped generations, made history. Yeah. Didn't happen. Hasn't happened in I don't know how long. Walking Dead was that way. Was yeah. was you know we were, I was a Walking Dead fan for the first two seasons. I was like, but it jumped it jumped into a large audience. It sold a lot of cable TV, but not anymore. I don't know how how you can serve in short that fragmented audience. Do you think superhero films jump the generations? One of the things I show in my when I'm wearing my professor hat, you know, mm-hmm. I work in a movie-rich environment. So there's always a movie playing in the background, which is probably more fun than listening to me. But during the breaks and at the beginning and end, there's always some weird movie playing because weird movies are my life. <laughs> and I show Batman all the time. Which Batman? 1940. Okay. It was a serial. And it, to us, it's really funny because comic books was really cheap to buy back then. And they made them for two dollars up here on uh, Melrose and uh, and Monarch Studios. Did it? It vanished after that. I show Captain America in his very first incarnations, and people say, "Well, that's not Captain America. Right, right, yeah. That's not even his grandfather. That's a different creature." Um, full disclosure: I'm not the biggest superhero fan in the world, but I think that's a possibility for jumping generations. We'll see. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that and other things that jump generations? Um, I mean, like these kids, there's a a version of what's always been true is they want to see some version of themselves on screen. You bet. And they want to see more and more a rebellious version of themselves on screen. You know, the sort of... um, the Hannah Montana's mm-hmm. not going to cut it anymore. They're, but somehow they're lured into seeing Stranger Things because those 
as yeah. kids are going off. And That's jumped generations. It has. It yeah. has, it has. no question. But, but those kids and, and, um, and the horror genre, like the movie It... Um, there yeah. were there were a bunch of kids who started in that, mm. and it was cool. Uh, like I'm sure there's some parents who wouldn't allow their kids to watch that, but I know a lot of kids sn- sneaked off and, right. and watched it. it. Yeah. Um, and to some degree, that don't you think that the superhero show uh, movie appeals to their sort of. They've got one foot in the comic book mm. door because they're still kids, and then yet it's sophisticated. Um, and so even if some of it's beyond their ken, mm-hmm. uh, um, there's a cool factor to having gone to see it. As you know, kids want to fit in. They want to be able to come to school on Monday and, you know, say, and say, yeah. I saw it. Um, and uh, and you can't uh, sort of dismiss how important that is. Like, right. Like that's still, I, I, I bet, a shared currency among kids. Um, did you see it? it I, think, I think you're right. I think in that adolescent, having not grown out of adolescence, I can comment <laughs> expertly on this. In adolescence, you think every love song's about you. Nice. You know, uh, every pop song is about you. It's a little bit hard to do hip-hop about me. For I haven't shot anybody in weeks, but uh, there is... He does a, have guns, though. There is a cool factor. What's interesting to me, something you said, Stephen, is that their parents wouldn't let them. And I think that... Very nice. I think that bridge has been blown up. Yeah, and, you know, I think. Well, that's no. because of the internet. Of well, course, I don't mean, you think? but that's like, that's the thing. You know, when people do the numbers now, <laughs> when people do the numbers now, yeah, how do you compete with Chatterbait? Or, you know, I, I got a kid who's punching. Yes, I'm 18, and can see things I still don't really haven't learned about. You know, so how do you compete with that? Those are our viewers too. Those people that know nothing about our programming. Mm-hmm. That's another another shattered little group off by themselves and we're all in it that's who that's who we're competing with do when you say we are competing what do you mean by that? i mean people that make images people that tell stories and we have two choices you know we can be that guy behind the desk in 1929 saying sound it'll never happen or <laughs> we can respect it i don't know how we can lead can we? Our, no. well <laughs> i mean isn't yeah. it doesn't it seem like a lifetime ago that Tipper Gore mm. was trying to keep explicit <laughs> lyrics yeah, off of music? Off of yeah. Yeah, music? Mission, aco- mission accomplished, Tipper. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Remember that? That yeah, was crazy. I mean, it's and uh, even further back, Anita Bryant. Oh, yeah. And um, look, there's, there's always this version of this person, the family, I've forgotten what they they call themselves uh but who are trying to draw this line in the sand and and the point is is that you it's very hard to draw it now it's over um because um you know they have the keys to the candy shop they're gonna get it they're gonna see it yeah like like when i drop the f-bomb now in front of some 11-year-old, and I look over at the parents. More often than not, the parents just shrug. It's like, 
the battle's been lost. So why are they so ridiculous on television with the ratings? Like, you can't say that on, on TV. You on, can't, on, like, net, on network. Yeah, so why but, are they even doing that? It's already been a slippery slope. And and I don't want to repeat myself, um, but it used to be that when late night guys would say the word fuck, Mm. they would pixelate his mouth. Oh, right. They don't do it anymore. And they have worked it now into the text of their jokes. Jimmy Fallon won't. Um, but Kimmel and and Conan and Stephen Colbert do. Mm-hmm. They work a bleeped out fuck, dickhead, asshole. Right. Where it's clear uh, the audience at home doesn't need to um, uh, uh, imagine what they're hearing. Imagine it, yeah. and the audience that and the, the audience in the studio is telling them anyway. That it was funny. But then why do we even need to censor? Like, I find it crazy that we can't say fuck on TV anyway. That we're still censoring. Like, think about what you see on Walking Dead. Walking Dead, that's on basic cable, not on, okay, not network. It gets gooey. But there's stuff on network TV that's crazy, too. There's rape. There's all kinds of explicit things. There's There's everything you want, but, you know... I'm not offended by the word. You know, it came up in Brooklyn a couple of times growing up. <laughs> um, in Boston, too. Yeah, I bet. Let's not, <laughs> let's not open that one up, okay? Um, do the baseball thing. But uh, I, whether they censor it or not is up to them and up to standards and practices and whatever those, whatever those cats do. For me, I have a really grumpy old guy concern. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do to be outrageous? Where's the valve? Where's the where's the the faucet you turn to be outrageous if everybody says Don't it? Don't you think that after 2016 that has like there is no more what are you going to do? Not, I it, mean it, like with the it, Trump has changed the game of that completely. Well, and it's spilled yeah. over to everything, I think. Well, I I I I don't remember who it was. It was one of the comics. I don't I don't spend a lot of time on late night, but it was some comic. I was just looking at her work the other day and uh, just reading about it or seeing it. I don't remember. But I thought to myself, is that what you got? Really? Being outrageous in 2018? Really? You got a nasty word for me? Okay. I know that word. How are you going to entertain me? What do you got? How are you going to shock me? You going to show me a live aut- celebrity autopsy on TV or something? I mean, what What are you going to do to get my attention? Now that you're right, mm-hmm. that ship, as they say, has left the station. Mm-hmm. But that culturally, that's my concern, and but, I'm I'm guilty. Yeah. Look, don't discount the plays on network of shows that don't work blue. True. Um, uh, this is us. Right. Is crushing it. That's true. It true. is not a show um, that, as of yet, has um, uh, leaned on the lurid to attract mm-hmm. its viewers. Mm. Big, Big Bang does not work blue. Right. In, o- over over its uh, its time on air, mm. it's got increasingly um, risk you know risk oriented, but. You know, there was a big deal when Friends did some episode in which uh, Ross and Rachel are making out. I remember. And he, uh, and he 
accidentally rolls onto a juice box. Broke my heart. And and Jenna and Rachel says, "Oh, sweetie, that's okay." That's funny. And it was and it was a big deal. It, and yeah, that joke got was written about. Hmm. I mean, now it's stop like it. yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Well, so I want to segue from this a little bit into uh, how that generation, the whole concept of being woke, because. They that's their whole thing, you know, and and comedians talk about this as a big problem in terms of they can't go on college campuses and do routines because everybody's constantly like they're using that as a sort of we're all woke and you can't not be woke. And we have to have, you know, everything we see has got to be that way. And so I'm just curious what you guys think about that in terms of uh, being a content creator, being writers and. Is that something that you feel that everyone has to, you know, keep that in mind when they're creating now? Or okay, um, again, and I, and I I don't want to say this to denigrate uh, me too, um, but it has uh, it, it is so ca- it feels so cautionary as you try to create content. And um, especially content that you have to straddle the line between making sure that what you're writing is compelling and noisy and has shock value Mm -hmm. and is sensational and turns the key in some way uh, for, for, for that network or that studio. And then um, doesn't like, if a woman gets hit in that scene, uh, that whoever hit her probably has to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um, I, I think this is an interesting segue. Because a second ago, we were talking about offensive words. <laughs> you know, just, I mean, just a second ago, certain words, George Carlin's list. And now we're talking about another set of offensive words that just happened to be someone's not a word it's an idea right uh you know uh, what's his name some one of the guys i I don't really follow it but uh one of the right-wing uh pundits and i have very little use for pundits by the way of any type but he was going to make a speech on our campus i was it milo ianopoulos I, I I don't it was one of those cats. I just don't remember. But this last year, and there were helicopters and snipers on the roof, and you know all this stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, what has this guy got, sincerely, to make all these people turn out? And you know what? Nobody showed up. I mean, the riot didn't happen. It was kind of a letdown. I like a good riot, as you know. Oh, so he actually spoke. I wonder. I, I guess because I know I, Milo didn't. I know people. Speak. I had a, I had night graduate classes, and I was saying to people, "Well, I best." I I fell right into the trap. I said, "Well, you know, it's a quarter to seven. We better get out of here before the tear gas is released." Yeah. And I, by the way, that's another thing. My students are so damn well behaved. Yeah, um, you have you. You're in touch with that whole college well, uh, they're, crowd they're so, they're mentality. So damn, well, they're so damn well behaved. Sometimes I've actually said to them, "Has anyone ever ever been tear gassed? What are you waiting <laughs> for?" Um, well, the, the college mentality. I think where I might be a little bit of a special case, uh, but they're very aware of it. And in creative work, they'll say, "I don't mean to be sexist, but dot dot dot," and they'll do whatever right. they want. 
there, it's there, it's aware, people are aware of it, and the discussions about it, faculty, professionals, blah, 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 have been censorship by silence. And censorship by, by self, self-silencing. And that's as pernicious, I think, as any other kind of censorship. No one's going to haul you off to prison. They will haul you off to a cultural prison. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I've seen it happen. I mean, I've seen, you know, people come up to me and say, you know, I didn't vote for Hillary. I can't tell anybody that. I say, why are you telling me this? Well, it makes you think I'll not rat you out because I'll, I'll roll over in a heartbeat. But it's like a whisper thing. And it, this encourages a kind of cultural underground. Yeah. It's dangerous. One of the reasons I'm asking, do you guys know the comedian Jim Jeffries? Mm-hmm. So he has a show on Comedy Central now, and it comes on before The Daily Show on Tuesdays. And he's very funny, Australian comedian. And he did a segment where he, there was, I can't remember the name of the very right-wing uh, pundit that was speaking. And uh, he says some very provocative things. He's not even really that right wing, but he says some very provocative things. And there were a group of students who were protesting him, didn't want him to be there. And they're saying that they're exercising their free free speech to protest against him. And they were he was speaking and they had like a blow horn. So he couldn't no one could hear. He finally had to leave. And so Jim Jeffries did this thing where he was interviewing this woman and talking about why she did this. And every time she spoke, he he pressed like a loudmaker. <laughs> Good for him <laughs> to show her. And like the what is interesting to me is it seems that the comedians like Bill Maher, you know, John Oliver, Jim Jeffries, the daily, like these are the people who are tackling this you know issue particularly. Um, Jerry Seinfeld's known for talking about how he hates this issue. But what I'm curious about why this sort of overwoke culture isn't being examined in uh, scripted because it seems like is it that people are afraid to do that because no one wants to, you know, we want to leave it with the comedians to shit on it or not shit on it. So that that's sort of what I'm, I'm, I'm a little curious about. Well, some shows are sort of taking a look at it. Like, and, like Roseanne. And, <laughs> and a show that was just nominated for an Emmy, Blackish. Right. They are doing it. And look, at the end of the day, and we've spoken about this, uh, either it's funny or it's not. Yeah. And, um, and Blackish, uh, this guy is unusually deft at taking stuff and. And spinning it into a pretty funny storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's not shying away from that aspect of raising kids in a woke world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's pretty good. Uh, but Yeah, I like Blackish. It's funny. Yeah, it's great. My cousin Peter's on the show. Wow. Who's he's your the Peter? white boss. Oh, yeah? Peter okay. McKenzie. Yeah. I think there's a parallel between our. our Adult, this is before your time, probably. Our adolescent wokeness, wokeness, if that's a word, and the wokeness of today. Because we, you know, we were in, <laughs> hard to believe, I have pictures of this. We had, little long haired weird me was in the streets in Washington, D.C., and going to moratorium demonstrations, that rings a bell. And we had a technique that worked, I guess, or at least more importantly, it was fun. 
there were edges of us that, you know, there was the whole SDS weatherman bomb thing, but most of us used absurdity. What is that? What do you mean? Well, the... The, the sort of George Carlin... The yippie movement. I was part of the yippie... I'm, I'm confessing to things that I may have to testify okay. someday. <laughs> uh, I was part of the yippie movement. The yippie movement were... I mean, I fancied myself anyway. Or absurdists. Uh, the sh- legendary Chicago Democratic National Convention. Abby Hoffman. Abby Hoffman, yeah. Oh, okay. Jer- Jerry. Jerry Rubin. Uh, um at the Democratic National Convention, which I attended and wrote a great script about, by the way. Wow. If you're out there. Um, they elected a, a presidential candidate, Pegasus, who was a pig, big pig, had Secret Service mm-hmm. guards, and it was all played very straight. The idea was the blow against the empire, to quote the Jefferson Airplane, just to date myself, was to make them look ridiculous, even even when it hurt. I mean, so. don't you think the Trump baby balloon over London is that? Similar, you know, (laughs) as a citizen of the Commonwealth, okay, I'm going to pull my passport in a second. I'm embarrassed for them. Why, really? Yeah, I really am. I really am. Because a little yippy would go a long way here, and because uh, my British cousins have a long reputation of cutting people dead, and I think it's a magnificent tool to use in a case like this. I think it feeds his thing to make him say oh i hate it here oh like you know just like there's a lot to be said for declaring the nothingness of someone someone sometimes i mean i know that's yeah and i um, don't know you have it was, any it thoughts was just, on that <laughs> i never have but it, it, like the, having the lord mayor of london well it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. because um degrading trump has been um you know it's a cottage industry mm. for late right, right? they well they're they're doing great doing it and then there's some who have suffered um when people say they've crossed the line when Michelle Wolf called Ivanka a feckless cunt No that was Sam B Oh was, Sam and B And Michelle Wolf said the the eye shadow the like her lies yeah, that was like this Sarah silly nothing thing it was Huckabee so Saunders, so benign what? yeah and Kathy Griffin you know, yeah. some of that. Oh, the redhead, yeah. Is yeah. Um, just because they don't like those people, right? And okay, but you know what? When you do stuff like that, you got to have big ones, Kathy. You know, you have to just take it and deal with it. You knew we we're going to be outrageous, and it, when you're outrageous, guess what? Sometimes people are outraged. Should they be pilloried? Should they be pilloried? Should they be publicly flogged? Hell no. Well. She was annoying on every level yeah. before she made that. <laughs> okay. so I, full disclosure, I, I canceled New Year's Eve because of her. Yeah. I didn't shed any tears. Mm. Um, it's not going to go away. Nope. And yeah. uh, it'll be interesting to see um, if someone uh, continues to try to sort of do um, shows or movies that sort of in some secondary way address. Right. Like, like I'm writing a v- kind of villainous character right now. And as I'm writing him, I'm thinking, do I kind of want to give him Trump-esque like qualities? And I don't. Hmm. Like I don't even want to pay homage. There you go. Hmm. 
But it's in your consciousness. But it is in my consciousness. And I think whenever you're writing someone who has power, I suspect a a lot of writers are wondering Mm. about that. Like, what kind of narcissistic disorder do I give this man or woman? That's interesting. There's lots of choices, fortunately. (laughs) Uh, So let's talk about the Connors, which is going to be the new spinoff. Well, the new show without Roseanne about the Connors family because the last episode we did we happened we talked about Roseanne it was before all the shit broke and so we talked about how the show's back and how it's doing and what does that mean and 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 we haven't you know been together since that went down and you wrote a great post about your thoughts on that Mm. and want to share with the class at all or Sure. I um, This was on the heels of Roseanne um, being booted from her own show, and I wrote for the show for a season and worked for her. And, um, and I had met Valerie Jarrett, who she had described as a... Uh, Valerie Jarrett, who was Obama's right. closest advisor, and she had described... Uh, Roseanne described on Twitter Valerie Jarrett as a cross between the progeny of uh, the Brotherhood of Muslim and uh, Planet of the Apes. Oh, dear. And ABC very quickly cut her loose. Very quickly. And and I, I just said in my post, in so many words, that having witnessed Roseanne for hours and hours and hours that she was really smart and really funny and really talented and really vile (laughs) and really hateful Mm -hmm. and I was happy to see her go Mm. and hoping uh, that ABC's swift and and principled action uh, would be watershed for people to see that you could choose principle over making a buck because they were making a handsome buck yeah and now it's interesting on the heels of taking the show back, it feels like, well, the buck still um, has its own place. Right. And, and I'm not criticizing ABC for that. Um, but y- you have to wonder. Um, yeah. Well, and also uh, they knew who she was, you know? Yeah, they did. Like this is not. I don't think it I I think they did the right thing and I think it's horrible what she said but I don't think it's surprising. I think she said many horrible things That's on great. Twitter. You know, I I tell young people now who are applying for jobs. I I said by the way, you might want to comb through your Instagram. Yes. Absolutely. Uh and so that one with you with the bong, you might want to look at that one. Yeah. And um and and ABC, uh, you know, knew who she was, yeah. and didn't care. Right. I'm sure they didn't care at all. Well, what's until gonna... she showed who she was? Yeah. Well, until they were caught by public outrage, because yeah. this she was on it. All of a sudden, she was on a bigger stage because of everything that's happened in the last couple of years. Like because people have been criticizing her for tweets before. But it's different when she's now become the poster person for red state America, you know, and, you know, so my question is, 
what's going to happen with the Connors? Is it going to be, you know, is it going to be successful? You think that Red State America that apparently was watching the reboot of Roseanne will say, we're not going to watch it without Roseanne. I mean, it feels like we're that polarized that that's maybe what's going to happen. But it's hard to say. I don't know what the writers are doing. I suspect they're going to try to find a place for whatever Roseanne's voice was mm-hmm. in the reboot and make sure that that viewpoint is going to be there, that it's not just um, more sort of so-called libtard right. whining mm-hmm. from Jackie's character right. or whoever. And uh, Last Man Standing, mm-hmm. which was Tim Allen's show. Tim Allen was sort of famously right wing. Right. And they brought that show back. Um, is it on network or cable? Uh, it was on network. It was on ABC in May. I don't know who who's bringing it back. It might be ABC. It might be TNT. I'm not mm. sure. Um, but the fact is, you know, these people, uh, the networks are, are aware of making sure that they have to sort of continue to cultivate mm-hmm. all of America, including the... 38% who will love Donald Trump no matter what. Right. I think there's a reason why windows don't open in network offices. So people can't jump out of them. <laughs> because uh, I always ask people that I work with, I got 60 students last year, and they're pretty talented people. It's a lot of people. And I always say, ask them what they're watching, first question. And I always ask, well, who's watching network? And it's a, they it, say no. They say no one, right? Uh, now, there's two possibilities here. One is that they're not watching Network. The other one, and I run into this all the time, they're too damn cool to watch Network. But ABC would be smart and wise. And they were wise to fire her because of a tweet, not because of the show. Good for them. They would be wise to start cultivating this audience, having just bitched and moaned about censorship. This is the audience... That's going to take over. People shuffle off this mortal coil. People go on. There's a reason why radio is back. Via podcasting, you mean? Not just podcasting. I mean, even terrestrial radio. Suddenly people realize, gosh, it's everywhere. Um, The corporate stuff is weird and a subject for another day, probably. But um, it's important to look ahead a little bit. Those kids that are not sneaking into the movie theater, but using mom and dad's credit card to order movies... Mm. They're going to have kids, too. And they're going to start watching young. So, well, it'd be wise to do that. I, you know, at the risk of offending some of your listeners, um, you know, there are a lot of options out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for me, you know, I, I always feel like I'm running out of time. And mm. so I have plenty of time for great. And I have... A little time for good, and I have no time for mediocre. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about everything. Do you mind if I write that down and get a tattoo? <laughs> and and, that's, and that's food, that's sports, and that's certainly television and the movies. Mm-hmm. And and here's where the offensive part is going to come in. If these people who love Donald Trump so much, I'm going to say that they don't have the same taste that I do. Mm-hmm. And that they're willing to put up with mediocre in a way that some people, that I'm not. And I'm sorry to draw a line in the sand there. And what I'm suggesting is 
that those people are watching some those those people are watching some shitty crime shows on CBS. But I know people who hate Trump that watch The Real Housewives and The Bachelorette. And I'm like, what are you doing? Okay, and, well, their grandparents listen to Fibber McGee and Molly. It's the same kind of escapism. I don't know what that is. It's a, it was a big hit radio show about the time your grandparents were busy listening to radio shows. They're not there, though they were sort of public service. The, people aren't there to be talked to. Sometimes they just want to see, they want to, you know, see how great the dress is. And I don't blame them. It's mm-hmm. entertainment. That's the business that we are in. And we can't tell them how to be entertained. We can tell, we can lead, we can follow, but we can't look at someone and say, you will be entertained by what I do. And we have blessed, we are blessed and cursed with more choices than any civilization can put up with. And no matter what you do, someone's going to be watching, what was that kid, who, that, that ugly kid in the beauty contest show years ago? Baba Goo Goo, whatever her name what? You know, she was this fat kid, and everyone. Oh, um, Honey Boo Boo. Yeah, whatever. Someone, yeah. some people are just. Is it a is it a train wreck? Yes. Is it funny? Yes. I never watched more of it, but I also. <laughs> I don't know what her name is, man. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds baby. like something my dad said. <laughs> but on the, oh, well, I'm getting there. You know, he's got names wrong. I, I, I'm getting there. You know, on, on the other hand, I could tell you about Fibber McGee and Molly if you want. Uh, <laughs> But I, I bring this back to your thing about, you know, asking everyone who's watching Network and point taken that this is us and the Big Bang Theory and all that. But you also made a point in another episode we did where, you know, when was the last time we watched a commercial? And I think yeah. that that's more true than ever with the younger generation. And, and I'm not convinced that they're watching anything as it comes on, you know, I I and I'm not even I don't even know if I believe the Nielsen ratings are real anymore. <laughs> like right. does, because does pe- Nielsen count uh, computer views? No, or, they don't. Or you there's know. really no way to measure it in the way in, that they are measuring things. Like and Netflix doesn't release their, you know, Amazon. They don't release all these numbers. So like how. You, all I know is from going to Comic Cons and seeing the crowds of people that are and like seeing things that are being bought, sales of things related. That's how I sort of measure it. At the risk of you know making waves, mm. my agent and my manager, useless as they may be, are this moment in Comic Con. So about it's next week. Whatever, but they, they get an early start. Can they're I all, can I look at look them up? Absolutely. <laughs> well, they're going to Comic Con, and you know this agent of mine is he's a real guy, and he's got three kids, and he dresses up like a bumblebee or whatever the hell. Really? Yeah, he, you know. But that says a lot to me. That says a lot that you about this audience. That you can get these, the big complaint was you can't get these people to do anything. Mm. You know, really? Go to Comic Con. Yeah, even you get, get near, them to do a lot. You'll, you'll get them to dress up like you know, make intricate things that take years to do steampunk batman you know i mean that it sounds is, great actually <laughs> it is pretty great sounds good i found the great steampunk movie uh recently i'll tell you about it off the air but uh it was made in 1945 or something but it was true steampunk oh reason. yeah well tell say what it is now it was, that was it was a uh, brace yourself it was made during the third reich uh by uh 
There were two of them. One was made during the Third Reich by the UFA, which is the Nazi film industry. Mm-hmm. And it's a, the Baron Munchausen that they made is totally steampunk. Oh, wow. And there was one made in the 1950s in Italy, which I will send you, the, the title escapes me, that yeah. has intricately, um, this is wild, live action and intricately drawn sets. I mean, literal. I mean, I don't mean superimposed. I mean, right. so it has things like, you know, an, an American railroad train that was designed in 1840 in the middle of the 20th century. So wow. it's totally simple. That's pretty cool. I, I wish I had the title at my fingertips. But you can get people to do something, and that it's good news, bad news. You know, the good news is people are doing something. The bad news is, from people like me a little bit, I don't really care what they do, is that what's the story here? And it's true, superhero movies has gotten pretty damn deep. But it, uh, that's what they are. They're not, you know, all about Eve or something. It's a great movie. It is a great movie. And y- if I was going to go to Comic-Con, I would absolutely dress my character in All About Eve. <laughs> You'd look good as Eve Harrington. Uh, I'll play. What was, uh, uh, I would do the black and white makeup, you know, walk around with a cigarette. You know? <laughs> I can do that. So, I mean, I will say in this sort of, you know, it tags back to a point we made earlier that about uh, jumping demographics. Comic-Con really does show you what jumps, to, you know, that all of these things, horror, genre fiction, all of these things, you see people who are Trump supporters, who are, hate Trump. You see young, old, everything. So there's something about that. Do you see black people? <laughs> yes. You do? Oh, a large numbers of black people they're big comic fans large numbers of hispanic people i mean the de- it's a multicultural multi you know age level race everything it's 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 a big smorgasbord of fans which is great when everybody is painted green all people are equal <laughs> very nice uh but and I do think that th- that those films can be deeper. Do you guys remember? Not that this is a deep film, but I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Do you remember They Live, John Carpenter? Sure. From like the early eighties. Yes. yes. It, it was a horror film starring um, Rowdy Roddy Piper, the wrestler. Wow. And uh, it's about these aliens that are living amongst us and some group of rebels find these glasses and you put the glasses on, you can see the aliens and see that they're controlling us and everything. And, and that was very insightful back then. And it feels like there's stuff like that going on right now that there's like someone's holding on to a portion of the population, like a cult almost horror movies. do kind of, <laughs> Horror movies and sci-fi movies do kind of lead the way. A they reflect bit. a lot of that stuff. No, I mean, I, I never thought about it before but they do kind of lead the way i mean night of the living dead is a stunning indictment of racism it's about as and uh forbidden planet yeah content and and image okay i got a paper to write i'm good you know yeah i don't think um i don't know that it did huge box office but the movie her oh oh, yeah yeah. own way was a kind of sci-fi had a sci-fi quality absolutely to the storytelling and what it had to say what spike jones had to say about the nature of relationships in a world where we continue to sort of disconnect and talk from one another right like i'm seeing someone right now you know we we text yeah and then i get to see her but we text (laughs) and it's 
It's a challenge, isn't it? It's not as satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's the, it's the abbreviations that make erotic content difficult. <laughs> All the emojis, too. Yeah. Yeah. Do, you, do you just send emojis back oh, and forth? Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them are the little Stonehenge. <laughs> Talk to me. <laughs> it's terrible to send the wrong emoji. You know? Oh, that's, Lord. How you take that back? I, I, I feel like that generation that's growing up texting emojis, the younger one, even younger than millennials, they're just not even going to have to write a, a, a sentence. Upside, people who used hieroglyphics did build, build pyramids and whatnot. That's I mean, true. So, Very nice. You know. Yeah, who knows? Look, it's I, – I don't have – God, I don't mean to sound old guy, but I don't think they read. Mm. When you're right, you're right. And it, and I don't, I don't think they read anything, and I, and I don't think they read newspapers, and they just don't seem curious in a way. They're not feeding the monster. Yeah. And the monster is what going, what is going to make them an interesting, compelling Agreed. person. And um, if they're not interesting. Um, then interesting art is not going to appeal to them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I, who knows? But I, I, I don't have confidence in them. St- students in our field do not know their literature. Really? And I speak for everyone at this table, and aged, whatever, that there are movies. In, I'm, I, I never ask people what their favorite movie is. I'll tell you if you want, but I don't ask because mm. it's an intimate thing, and that movie is invariably about you. And it's none of my business unless you choose to tell me. But I have students who literally forget seeing a movie before they were born. Leonard Maltin got, summed it up perfectly when he said, if your education is limited to Star Wars or begins with Star Wars, and you've never seen a silent film, and you've never seen a foreign film, the word that he used is politically incorrect, then you are handicapped. So I have students who come to my class, and I'll, I, I teach one class that's kind of a bitch. I try to make it fun, but it's a bitch. There's three screenings a week. Unlike when we were in film school, you don't have to sit in a room with everybody else, which is a loss. Mm-hmm. You watch it on your stupid phone or whatever. I've had students come to me and say, I'm looking at the assignments this week. I said, well, that's a step in the right direction. I said, I have to tell you, professor, which is a weird thing to call me anyway, black and white movies bore me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I handled it the way I handled it. I said, I'm not here. You didn't say that. I want you to go outside and come back in when I am here, <laughs> and we'll talk about your heritage. So they're not reading. They're not curious about. Mm. Wait, did you just say that they don't watch it in class? At all. People See, that's don't watch sad to me. Every now and then I draw, I draw a line in the sand, and I say, look, sit down, shut up, put your phones away, and we're going to watch my favorite movie. I do it every year. But Is that because today, like the way film school is being taught, you can't, it can't. I think, a, way, I think a or? real live, a, I, I say this in my own peril, but a, a truly elite film school, if there is such a thing, um, I won't name names, they have, got a, they have got a screening schedule, and we do too. You know, we, we have a, yeah. a history class or whatever, uh, which is very often an exercise in narcissism on the part of the professor who just thinks, you know, Abbott and Costello are it. Right. Uh, but most people watch their movies at home on their computers that with six things stinks. going on. And, yeah. you know, and look, it's like trying to teach somebody religion. I, I can tell them about it, but, I, 
you can't make someone spread the incense. You know, you can't, you can't do that. But that disturbs me because that and a couple of other things guarantee us bad movies for at least a generation. Yeah, no, that's true. You know what makes, I just was thinking when you were saying this because when I was in film school in the early 90s, uh, well, in graduate school, um, I had a Hitchcock class. Wow. One of my all-time favorites of his is Rope. Can you imagine watching Rope for the first time on your phone no. or in your living room and I, being distracted? You just wouldn't get it. And it's a masterpiece. It's, you a, know? it's a social, it's a cinema masterpiece. It's also a great dweeb fest. Yeah. If you're a movie dweeb, it's like, it's true. It really is Thanksgiving. But uh, it's also a wonderful story, subtle about a certain kind of gay relationship. Yeah. And a certain type of New York elite at the time and still. It's a very eloquent film in its own way. Yeah. Um, it's dweeby because of the cinematography thing. You know? But um, I, I assign that movie and sometimes people don't get it. They wouldn't if they were watching a million different things. Okay, once. so what? Here's, here's my alternative. I can go stalking off someplace and say, we're renting a movie theater and getting it. They don't even have union projectionists anymore, but we did when we were in film school. But uh, and we're going to make you sit there and watch this movie, and anybody who gets up gets a laser sight dot on their forehead. <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah. I, again, do I respect it? Do I respect my audience to say, you're going to love this. You're going to like it. Whether they like it or not is a matter of complete indifference to me. So I, this is a perfect segue into aging in Hollywood because we're... <laughs> My advice is don't do it. <laughs> I'm calling this almost invisible because... It, you, did, have you guys seen American Animals? I have not. No. You know the story about these guys? It's, it's an interesting film because it's uh, by a, a documentary filmmaker who weaves in the real-life people in a documentary format into a, a scripted storytelling. And they it's a heist movie where they these bored kids in Kentucky decide to rob these Audubon books in a library, and they decide to dress as old people because that's the closest to invisibility they can be. And there's a line in it where they say that, and it just started made, making me think about that whole concept of what it feels like how it's how how we're treated as we age in hollywood and and i'm just curious like your thoughts on this whole subject well it's um it's pretty frightening mm. i um was talking to my manager um and he said um Everyone really loves your writing. It just sucks that you're a white guy. What? And, um, you know, they're, they're not looking for older white men mm -hmm. at the moment. Mm -hmm. They're looking for young women of color, whether they can write or not. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because men of a certain age, especially, buy a lot of stuff. You know, attention advertisers. You too can reach this target demographic. My wife watches MeTV a lot. You ever seen MeTV? Mm -hmm. It's like a, all the old TV shows you yeah, thought you saw. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. They have Racket Squad and a lot of Perry Mason. And the advertisers, I've pointed out to her on numerous occasions, are selling burial insurance and prostate claims yeah. of one type or another. 
I think it's a, you know, I'm not in that business, but it's a tremendous mistake to take the richest people in the history of civilization, I don't think I'm exaggerating, and say you're not welcome here. It's an amazing statement to make. I've had it happen to me too. I mean, I've had, I actually had someone in our business say to me, something was actionable, I think. I didn't do it. He said, when he met me, first thing out of his mouth is, what's your background? What does that mean to you, Stephen? Well, look, mm. um, there's no point in whining about nope. it. Mm. Not and, at all. and I don't. And I, uh, I don't for a moment let it stop me as I, for, from doing anything. And, and obviously, uh, and I'm very competitive. And so I, it actually just makes me push harder. Good for you. And one part of it is then I know that I have to give them something to which they cannot say no mm-hmm. because they, they are so searching for some new dipshitty flavor that's not very good. <laughs> right. And but it also feeds into, into what I write. Um, I had dinner with a producer last night. A guy you know and have written for, mm-hmm. Warren, Carrie yep. Brokaw. Sure. And I was telling him about a character I was writing. It's a woman. I'm putting a woman at the center of my show. They want women heroes. And I... Which is good. Hell yes. And she's great. And, I, and I'm falling in love with her. But it was interesting what Carrie said. I said, she's, uh, she's 45. And Carrie goes, can she be 38? Mm-hmm. And I said, she sure can. I'll make that change when I go home. Can she, though? Why does she have to be? Because I'll tell you something. As a woman over 45. uh, Who is that person? uh, Hmm. That that is something that I find really frustrating. Is that there's a void. There's this 45 to 60 void. Late 58, maybe. Where you're literally, you kind of don't count. Until you can be Helen Mirren, until you can be Dame Judy Dench, mm-hmm. you count before that. But and thank God for like Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock and and who are doing like you know the interesting things like Big Little Lives. But they're they're making those themselves. They're making them themselves. But like that's I've heard this before. This. You know, well, can forty five fifty? Can she be thirty five? It's like. That's to me the one of the things about aging in Hollywood that's really frustrating. Because what about those of us in that bracket? Do we not count? Do we not want to buy like stuff products? You know, uh, we, well, never, like, there was that, and also who's got all the cable channels? Every single one of them. Who's got Showtime and HBO and whatever the hell else there is? It's people that age. But, but Stephen's right though, and there's nothing to piss and moan about it. You can make it into something. And that's, that's what I try to do is make it into something. I'm very fortunate that I, I've, been, excuse me, I've been around a little bit and I'm around people of different generations, but I'm not writing for them and I'm not writing for us particularly. I'm trying to tell the damn truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, truth jumps generations. But then who's you know? writing for us? Who's writing for this? Like, is anyone going to say, okay, yes, besides Nancy Myers? You know what I mean? Like, it'd be cool... To have other people. Hmm. Like, I'd like to see that woman at 45. 
you know. Me too. Well, she's 38 now. All right. <laughs> we'll wait. <laughs> Hopefully it'll be it'll run for 7 years. <laughs> Look, it's um it's got to be daunting and it must be even more daunting for the actresses. Yeah. And and then like like she's lovely and she's a terrific actress. Anne Hathaway. How about that? You know, where's yeah. where's that going to go? Amy Adams has continued to sort of work and but you know, you have to sort of um you have to create your career. And, and she's producing this show. And she is yeah. producing that show and Reese is producing Big Little Lies. Yep. And um so there's you can you can list on one hand what about these other actresses? You know, uh, the Patty Clarksons and, and, and Sandra Bullock. Yeah. And, um, and all these women who are, are, are remarkable. And there's – it's easier for men. I mean, it, it sort of goes with that yeah. cliche. It's easier to age as a man. There's more stuff for those guys. Well, one of the things, too, and, I'm, and I just want to see – get your comments on this and you may not be able to relate but i'm going to say it anyways (laughs) uh one of the things i think as especially as a woman over 45 we face is this sort of feeling of being unverified and by that i mean if you are by yourself and you're not like there there is a huge difference between me being in a supermarket being spoken to by the checker by myself than when jake is there with me I can't even begin to tell you the difference. It's the difference between being invisible and not being invisible. And I, I'm just curious if you if you feel that way as men too. If that if that's something that you deal with. You know, I'm I've been single for most of my life. You know, girlfriends um, in and out, and I have. Um, it's it's not as hard, and it's not as hard for someone like me because I don't give a fuck. <laughs> uh, That's two tattoos in one conversation. <laughs> but I I see it, and I and I see it in men of a certain age who walk into uh, R and D kitchen to a bar, and I see it in women who are unaccompanied, and um, they there's a hauntedness about mm. them uh-huh. that breaks my heart. And honestly, Sarah, it's like that's an idea for a movie. Absolutely. I mean, I mean that, seriously. Yeah. I mean, to talk about that life, you know, they did a really nice job with um, Louise in Thelma and Louise. Susan mm. Sarandon's character oh, was absolutely. that character. She was. And she was defiant. And she was. And but but you could tell there was an aloneness. Yeah. And she was looking to be to use your phrase, and I like it very much to be verified. Yeah. Mm. In a world that that has pushed her in every way culturally to the margins. Right. Uh, but that's a great story. It really yeah. is. It really is. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> Just don't call it unverified because I'm going to write an article. I'm not. Time. I'm not going to write. <laughs> no, I'm not going to call it. There is there is a sense of uh, being invisible sometimes. Yeah. Um, it, it comes up every now and then in my little writing office, on, which is around the corner from the Third Street Promenade, because apparently people can't see me. On the other hand, <laughs> they can hear me. Hmm. That's just me. 
I said to one of them the other day, that kind of activity can kill someone, and it won't be me. That was pretty cool. It was a scooter collision, you know? Oh, God, but scooters. But I think men have a real advantage fighting invisibility because it's very easy for us to look differently, to, to put on a certain air of sophistication or experience that women are, some, for some reason, not allowed. I find it stunningly attractive, but some, it, it's not perceived the same way. Mm-hmm. A woman alone is seen as a casualty. Yeah. And a man alone is, quoting a Tony Bennett song, knows all the aces. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he wrote it, but there it is. Uh, And there's something about that. There's something liberating about that. Even even when you're invisible, to go into a new place and say, at least think to yourself, they're thinking, who is that guy? Very good. That's lovely. And 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 that is look. Some of it's existential in a sort of deeper, sad way. You want to count. You want to mm-hmm. be able mm. to walk in some place or be a part of something and belong to something. And, and then there's the other part of it, which is silly, but it matters to guys like us, is the cool factor. Men will fight to get the cool factor <laughs> while their widows are picking out the casket. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely true. I mean, men will be any, will do any, certain, most men will yeah. do anything. You know, I may be an asshole and I may be lame and I may be in, in, impotent, but I can sure play the bass guitar. It comes up a lot. Uh, and invariably, uh, it is a part of, of so many TV shows mm-hmm. now. Mm. Is um, where's the cool factor? Yeah. Uh, where's that character? And is there a cool factor to the show where uh, you need to watch it? And where's Jeff Goldblum? Everyone wants to be. Jeff I know Goldblum so many today. women who have crushes he's on cool. Jeff. He he's is cool. The, he's oh, so God. cool. He's the ultimate cool factor. I never thought I'd live to see this. I mean, this is a great moment for America everywhere because I know like all these women that are about Jeff Goldblum. Not he's Flynn hot. Or yeah. Because he's smart and, you know. And he's he's kind of crazy, though. And he plays jazz. He plays jazz, but he's, yeah, he's a catch. Yeah. Is he single? No. He got remarried as, a, you know, a, a young child now. His Instagram's pretty cool. It, I follow him, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Well, uh, I think I'm going to wrap this up there because I think that's a good discussion. And uh, I, I think uh, we will pick it up on the next one. Uh, but as always, gentlemen, this is great. It's I appreciate everything you have to say, and it's always fascinating. I always learn a lot and always pushes me to my... You're a compelling in- interlocutor? Interlo- say the word for me. Interlocutor. Interlocutor. Oh. You're the tops Thank you. and all the rest you're, of that song. You're terrific. Yeah. I'm a mama Thank Coliseum. you, Sam. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Stephen Godshow and Warren Lewis. I can, I, I'm going to change the beginning of this so i say your name right (laughs) all right everyone that's it for us for the age of distraction part four on the conversations podcast on the hmc network Mm. head over there and visit us at the hmcnetwork.com where we will be live from comic-con july 17th to the 22nd thanks folks (laughs) 